Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Brian Peacock here with Matt Williamson on this Friday episode. Happy Friday, everybody. I hope you have a great weekend to come, and I hope we're uh, helping you kick that off. Some news, though, around the league. A couple of big stories broke later Thursday that we will get into today, Matt. Jamal Adams requesting, demanding a trade. That saga continues. We have some some hard news now to go with the Jamal Adams thing. And yeah, holdout is at least one option here for Jamal Adams. And there are some teams that he would like to go to that have been released by Adam Schefter that we'll get into. 49ers second-year wide receiver Debo Samuel that we talked about earlier this week, how important he was to the 49ers offense. Broken foot, might miss the beginning of the season. Uh, there's some other notes and news we'll get to. And maybe if there's time, some overflow Twitter questions at the end of today's episode. Don't forget to follow Matt at Williamson NFL. You can find me at BD Peacock on Twitter. Tag us to get involved in Twitter Thursdays or any other day when we hit those tweets. If you have any questions or comments, and thanks to everybody who is subscribing, rating, reviewing the show. Uh, tell a friend about Locked On NFL. Let them know their team is covered daily right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, Matt, what do you make of it? The latest news, Jamal Adams demanding a trade, a request or a demand, and it was kind of clear that it was going to head this way. I don't know if he's ever made an official trade request or if his agent maybe has, has broached the idea with the New York Jets, but it's pretty clear negotiations are not going well with the Jets, and this is probably going to end in a divorce between Jamal Adams and the team that drafted him number six overall in 2017. Yeah, this has been, I mean, there's been more smoke than I can remember of any trade rumor in recent history. And it's been going on for well over a year now. And I think, yeah, don't quote me, but I think even before the Joe Douglas era, and I know Joe Douglas did not draft them, but Adams has been wanting out or wanting paid and the Jets have been giving him pushback and, and just... Usually when there's this, this much smoke, there is some fire. And it sounds like I this is actually true. I believe that they're not looking at things the same way. A couple things, a lot of things I want to talk about with this one actually is Greg Williams' defense, and this fits what the Jets have on the roster very well, is basically designed with the priority of we want to be very strong up the middle of the defense, you know, and – he got to the Jets when the Jets were weak at corner and with edge rushers. But even since then, they've added C.J. Mosley and Quinton Williams, and they drafted another safety, uh, Ashton Davis, this year. So it's really about being really good up the middle. And if they could have Williamson, no relation, and Mosley behind Quinton Williams with Adams and you know all these safeties they have, that's exactly what they want. And doesn't seem like Adams is on board. And I want to talk about a couple of teams briefly that he has mentioned, because I don't think it's a coincidence that they're all basically contenders. He's not yeah. begging to go to Jacksonville or Cincinnati. And the, the, the write-up basically on Adams coming out of LSU was he's the most competitive, toughest leader, wants to win guy going, you know, I mean, he is the alpha dog and I bet he's looking at the Jets going, I'm, I'm stuck on a bad organization. You know, I mean, it reminds me a little of Minka with Miami. Like, I came from Bama. I came from LSU. I know how to win. And I'm looking around, and these guys don't. And so I went out. And he said things like, I want to get paid 
20 plus million. Okay. I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to get it, but we, we, you and I talk about this a ton. First of all, if the cap's going to be greatly hurt next year, I don't know how you make these moves. And so that uh, I, I'm tired of talking about that because let's just, let's just pretend like that's not a thing. And back to like Ramsey and Mac and guys like that to acquire a great player, it costs you picks or, you know, certainly draft capital that is substantial and then you got to pay them. You know I mean? Like you get hit twice on these deals. Yeah. And uh, when, before we get to the teams that he specifically has mentioned through Adam Schefter, and uh, I assume that's the agent passing that along to Adam Schefter, mm-hmm. which is where he gets a lot of his information. Um, you mentioned the culture guy thing, and that was one of the things I loved about Jamal Adams coming out. He's a winner. He's a culture-changing type of player. He's the type of player you draft first when you are trying to rebuild a team and rebuild a program. So that makes sense. But then how much of a squeaky wheel he is having two more years? Mean, he's under contract th- through 2021, so it's not like his contract would be up after this coming year or that he's a free agent right now. So And they'll pick up the option, too. Right, yeah. So the option's been yeah. picked up. So he's signed through 2021 now. And if you're a Jets fan, I could see the frustration saying, well, look, if you're that culture guy, if you're that such a great leader and so good at being part of a winning team, make that happen here. Like, what is this bullcrap mm-hmm. you're pulling right now? So I can see both sides of it because he deserves to be paid. He's one of the best in the league, but the it's not his turn quite yet. So it's a little bit early for him to be demanding anything just because that's the way that has been collectively bargained, right? So it's every player in the league. It's not just Jamal Adams. You don't just get to say one day, oh, you know what? I want $20 million, and I want to go to a team that's already good. No, make the team you're on good already. So I can understand how Joe Douglas and Jets fans would be really frustrated with Jamal Adams and be like, look, you're supposed to be the leader here. Lead us, build this team, make this team better instead of creating so much uh, distraction and, 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 and trying to demand all of these things and get yourself onto a team that's already good, that doesn't make sense. So those two things don't jive. Are you a culture guy or are you not? And it's clear he's a very good player, deserves to get paid. He will get paid soon. But there's a, a couple of things that don't really make sense to me when those two things collide. And I understand he wants to win, but he has a chance to make his own team better and become a winner there, which I think would be a bigger payoff in the end than joining somebody else's club. And, and a lot of those teams that's on his list can't really afford him anyway. No, and you're 100% right. Like, yeah, I'd love to go to these teams. Well, that doesn't mean those teams are interested or could even make a move for you. And I, I do want to buzz through those. But I thought you had a great point there. Like, And and you see this a lot in sports. Like, uh, this guy, is a, all he wants to do is win. He wants to get out of this situation. But why don't you st- stay the course, be our leader, lead us to victory, you know, and take us to the promised land and change the culture of the team. I hear that. I mean, I think there's it, it, there's very good arguments for both sides because I, I hate to say this to people, but the older I get and the more I look at the NFL, I do think there's eight teams that, this doesn't sound harsh, but are losers, you know, that are just, everything has to collide in the right way. I mean, it, it's like my, my Pittsburgh Pirates. Like the Pittsburgh Pirates are never going to win anything. You know, I, I see the Penguins and Steelers win all the time where the Jets, the Lions, the Jags, I mean, that these teams, they have a good year here and there, but it's almost impossible to get them back to being a winner. So I see both sides. 
And I do think there's something that's odd that's going on right now. And we've talked about this a lot, especially with quarterbacks. You know, whoever's up next and you're the best on the market right now, you're going to get the most money at your position group and and you're going to get a little raise over the top. And then Mm -hmm. uh, somebody else next year is going to be a free agent and they're really good and they're going to get a little bit more than you got. But we're seeing people wanting to destroy markets and paying a safety $20 million doesn't make sense, period, let alone giving up a first round pick plus to trade for a guy that you're going to pay $20 million. We're seeing it with George Kittle. He wants wide receiver money instead of tight end money. I think he probably has a better argument to blowing up that tight end market that's been really stagnant for a while than Jamal Adams does. Jamal Adams is great. I love Jamal Adams, but... What can you realistically expect to get? I think the Minka Fitzpatrick trade has to be the closest comp, and that was one first-round pick, right? That was a first, basically. Yeah, there yeah. was a little bit of spare change mixed in there. But basically, they gave up after week two their set, their first after Ben went down. So there were a lot of people going, well, that could be a top-five pick. Ben's, you know, they're, they're going to only win two games. The Steelers will be horrible. So you didn't know exactly what you're getting, which would be the case in this situation too. I mean, if you get the Niners or the Ravens or whatever's first round pick, you don't know how their 2020 season is going to go. But yeah, I mean, that was basically it. But one of the differences and the beauty of the Minka deal was the cost. I mean, Minka is very cost controlled. The Dolphins paid him his his, his signing bonus. The Steelers didn't have to do that. All they have to do is pick up his salary for a couple of years and then put the fifth-year tag on him. So the Steelers would get three years of high-end player at a cheap rate, where this deal, yeah, you got him on the fifth-year option, which is the most expensive, and then you got to pay him sooner. You know, like the, the clock has moved along a little faster with Adam. And so if Adams gets that, gets traded, gets paid, does Mika say, oh, well then the option and all that stuff doesn't matter. Why would I show up to camp? I want to get paid too. I want $20 million. And then Derwin James does it next yeah. year. <laughs> you know, right, right, right. I mean, it's a never-ending cycle. So let's get into those teams. We'll go team by team here. Maybe see who is the best fit, and we could figure out which one of these teams Jamal Adams might get to be traded to this offseason before the 2020 season even begins. You guys thought that there was a great deal at Built Bar getting 10% off with promo code Locked on at BuiltBar.com. Well, now there is an even better deal. Up to 50% off everything this week. You buy one box of Built Bars, 15% off. Two boxes, 30%. Four more boxes get 50% off your order at Built Bar with 100% profits from 8 million bars sold going to charity. Donated to organizations that support education, poverty, and ending hate and racism in America. So go to BuiltBar.com, get up to 50% off a box of German chocolate cake flavored Built Bars, peanut butter brownie, toffee almond, get a mixture, get your uh, Build Your Own box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. You can use promo code Locked On when you're there. A protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, high protein, low sugar, high fiber, up to 50% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, Matt, who trades for Jamal Adams? Where makes sense of the seven teams he listed? I'm not going to break down all their cap situations just off the top of my head. I'm just going to kind of think, does he fit the culture? Does he fit the scheme? Would I give up my first-round pick for Adams knowing that I have to that I get him for this year and then I need to give him a big contract? Probably not $20 million. I don't think he's getting that from anyone. But, I mean, if it's more than that, if the Jets are saying, yeah, you can have him for a first and a second, 
then I don't care who you are. I'm not interested. Like it needs to be kind of a Minka like compensation. Don't you think? Right. And well, and the way I understand it too, with these teams, and by the way, the, the Adam Schefter tweet reads, here are the seven teams to which jets pro bowl safety. Jamal Adams would welcome a trade per source. Baltimore Ravens, Dallas Cowboys, Houston Texans, Kansas City Chiefs, Philadelphia Eagles, San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks. All good teams, all expected to be in the playoff hunt. Most of those teams, if they gave up their first round pick, it's, it's most likely going to be in the back half of the first round. Right. And, and the way I understand it is, so I mean, obviously the Jets own his rights. They could trade him to anybody, but he would just hold out for teams that aren't on this list. But he would also, the way I understand it, is that he would show up to camp without a new deal and play in 2020 without a new contract for those teams only. So he won't do that with the Jets, won't do that for any other team if he was to be traded there. But for these seven teams, he'll show up without a contract. Then I guess we'd have to have this dance with one of those teams he was traded to next offseason. I imagine, or kind of like the Clowney trade last year, where, okay, I mean, it's your... Uh, I mean, he's just somewhat of a dead man walking after the season. I mean, those type of things, too. And, and I wonder, I mean, yes, these seven teams are interesting and they're all winners. But if, I don't know, the Packers, the Steelers, the Rams, I'm just thinking about you know, teams that have a, that are usually winners were to inquire. Do you really think Adams wouldn't go? Yeah, if they could really talk him into it. And I would right. love to hear more from Adams, specifically why, because it seems like, he doesn't want to be a jet and it's not even as much right. about the contract because at some point he knows he's going to get paid. It's weird. It's like, well, I'll pay there. I'll play there without a contract, but I won't play here without a contract. So there's something else going on. And who knows? You mentioned Greg Williams earlier and I'm not a big Greg Williams fan. Maybe that's part of it. He's like, I, look, this, be, is a, right. this is a losing situation. I don't believe in the franchise from the top down. I don't believe in this defensive coordinator. Get me the heck out of here because this is not going to work no matter how good of a, of a player and a culture guy and a leader I am. It's just doomed. So I could see that. And I would love to hear Jamal Adams thoughts on that. And maybe we will hear that once he is traded. But do you want to go team by team here real quick? Yeah. And by the way, like, I don't think the Saints would be in the market. But if the LSU guy got a call from the Saints saying we're going to give up our first round pick for you, you want to <laughs> yeah. come? I think he'd say yes. You know, let's go win this thing. A um, couple of stand out. If I had to put a chip down, who's the leader in the clubhouse? It has to be Dallas to me because they've just been the one that's been the the smoke and around this thing, the Cowboys name pops up more than any of them. They're an aggressive organization. They need secondary help. We just saw them trade a first round pick for Amari. So they've been down that road. So I think Dallas would be the leader in the clubhouse. I think Seattle's also interesting because they have a long history of trading picks for established players and their culture is important, is super, super important to them. I think that would be a great fit and times have changed and the scheme has changed, but boy, he's got a lot of camp chancellor to him as well in terms yep. of just fitting in like the Ravens and the chiefs are so good right now. And I guess the Niners would be in this ballpark too. I just don't know that the safety need is strong with the, with any of those teams. You know, we talked about Thornhill and Mathau, the Ravens have Earl Thomas and just resigned Clark. I think the Niners safeties are fine. And I don't know that, you know, I mean, I guess he could be the cam chancellor and that's that scheme too. Maybe you could help, help me out on that one. But those two, those three teams, I, I think, I just feel like they're the best guarantee of it being a late, late first and maybe 32nd. Yeah. And he's a Texas guy. So that's why the Houston yeah. Texans and the Dallas Cowboys are on the list. And the Cowboys have a positional need there. You know, Jerry Jones likes to make splashes, 
the the only thing that would the that Texans already picked so right. Well, yeah, the, it makes it, it's very <laughs> right. difficult for the Texans to even make that trade, even if they had the need, and they've got Justin Reed and uh, who's their starting strong safety, Eric Murray. So that's I guess he will. Yeah, they could use them. They could use an well. upgrade. Yeah. yeah. So uh, as far as the teams that need the upgrade the most, I think we laid that out pretty well. So I, I would both teams that were in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs and the 49ers. I think those teams, there was there's no need for them to be trading picks and tr- and spending money on that position group at this point. So right. the Cowboys make a ton of sense. The only question with the Cowboys and, and maybe this deal would have already been done is they just have a lot of high price ticket items right now so can they fit that under the cap when when a new deal is needed to be made would he take a little bit less to play for the Cowboys I would assume that that's maybe the very top of his list for teams he would like to to play for so the Dallas Cowboys has to be near the top and I would put the second at the Seattle Seahawks because of like you mentioned well first of all they're bad at using their first round picks anyway so I'm not worried about trading that first round pick from the Seattle Seahawks they have the need scheme fit everything works Uh, that just makes a lot of sense to me so if I had to put money on it Cowboys Seahawks are the two teams that I could see Jamal Adams ending up with but here's the other thing is Joe uh, Joe Douglas Jets GM has not granted Jamal Adams and his agent permission to go seek this trade so that's the other thing is Hmm. Joe Joe um, Joe Douglas isn't ready to do it. he's playing hardball on his side too so he's not ready to say okay yeah go ahead go do whatever you want Jamal like so that's another issue here you can give all the lists you want if you're Jamal Adams but you're under team control for a couple more years if Joe Douglas doesn't want to allow you to seek that trade then none of this matters no you're 100% right I mean the Jets do have a lot of power in the situation uh, we should probably move on but my last note is I mentioned that Houston doesn't have any picks but Bill O'Brien, is anyone going to stop him if he's going to give you a 2022 first and this year's <laughs> second? I mean, like, if he just wants to get rid of all the picks, you know, he can for stars, maybe he could get it done. Deshaun Watson? <laughs> right, whoever you want. <laughs> right. Uh, all right, yeah, let's move on. We spent enough time on this Jamal Adams situation, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more because it is not over. Right. It just keeps growing. 49ers, second-year wide receiver. Do you remember earlier this week, when we were talking about the 49ers offense and Debo Samuel, and I said I wouldn't even be shocked if Debo Samuel had more targets thrown his way than George Kittle did in the 49ers offense this year. Yeah. That's unlikely to happen. That surprised if, me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's how big of a, that's how big Debo Samuel was. And, and there's a lot of question marks with the 49ers wide receiver group. And they let Emmanuel Sanders walk in free agency. And they were so young and inconsistent last year, they felt the need to spend two future draft picks to bring in a veteran. Then they let that veteran walk. And now the one guy they thought they could really count on at wide receiver is hurt, might not be ready to start the season. He says it's 10 weeks, which would put him in line to get ready for week one. It could be as long as 16 weeks. This is one of those injuries. You just don't know the 49ers themselves had a wide receiver last year, Trent Taylor, who had five surgeries, same injury Jones fracture in in a foot. Uh, He had five surgeries and missed the entire season, and it happened in training camp. So it's not like this type of Jones fracture injury for a foot heals the same for everybody. So we'll see somewhere between 10 and 16 weeks. So he'll most likely be ready for around week four. So it's not a a huge deal. They're not going to miss him all year, but there's a lot of question marks at wide receiver for the 49ers. And you factor in potentially, uh, speaking of Jamal Adams' contract, George Kittle trying to break the tight end market. That could be a tough contract. He might not show up to camp if he doesn't get a new deal. And if he, if he wants that big of money, that's really the only leverage he has is the threat of a holdout. I mean, what if the 49ers that have their eyes on going back to the Super Bowl show up to week one and their top receiving options are tight end Ross Dwelly 
wide receivers Kendrick Bourne and Travis Benjamin. Or you know what I mean? It could look I really hate, ugly, yeah, really right, quick right, right. there. And actually, just today there was news of 49ers return man uh, Richie James hurt his wrist in workouts too. So at wow. some point, 49ers might just call their players and be like, "Hey, stop these workouts. Just let's do Zoom meetings and resume at camp because they've already lost two receivers for the start of training camp so it's it's not a huge deal because it doesn't look like Debo will be lost for the season but he might be gone for the first few weeks and he's the only guy I think that you could really count on outside for the Niners coming into the season but there's a lot of bodies and a lot of ways it could go well at wide receiver Dante Pettis was on a similar path last year at this time that Debo was on but then they didn't allow him to wear uniform in the Super Bowl he was a healthy scratch uh, Jalen Hurd missed all of last year third round pick who's a big bodied wide receiver that the 49ers really like and I mentioned Kendrick Bourne, who's you know solid, doesn't give you much deep, can't run after the catch all that well, but he gets open and catches the football. So, um, and then Brandon Ayuk, they spent a first round pick on him that can do a lot of Debo like stuff. So there's still a lot of bodies, a lot of talent there, but that tr- that training camp competition at wide receiver already was going to be big to see who the starter was with Debo, even bigger now because they might need to flush out two starters to start Week One. Yeah, a lot of unproven talents there. Yeah. You know, like I really like Hurd. I really like Ayuk. I don't know if we've talked hard enough, but I think he could be a star. Um, but both those guys are works in progress to be kind. I mean, they, they have a lot of work to do in terms of being refined, you know, anything close to an Emmanuel Sanders, like professional route runner and those type of things. I mean, they're nowhere in that stratosphere right now, but they're going to get a lot of attention. A um, couple things is it, I don't know if this is the case because people get hurt in June every year. But I hope it's not the Brandon Brooks, Debo Samuel, and 15 more people that get hurt. <laughs> right. Because, you know, because they were chilled and locked down and didn't work for, didn't work out for a couple months. And now they're getting back into it and bad things are happening. Hopefully it's not a run of those things because we brought that up before on the podcast. Like, I suspect some bad ramifications during this stretch while people are starting to get acclimated for the, the NFL. Um, and originally, I hadn't thought the injury itself through that much until you were just mentioning. I thought, oh, it's a broken bone. It's only June. He'll be back in September. Cool. But like you said, that particular injury is less predictable. And a foot in general for a wide receiver is obviously a terrible spot. And I'm just thinking of him as an athlete. He's such a big, strong, powerful athlete. I guarantee he puts more stress on that bone than Emmanuel Sanders. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yep. He's a big physical dude. Yeah, and a lot of foot injuries have sidelined wide receivers quite a bit. Isn't it? Uh, is it a foot or an ankle that AJ Green has been out with for like a, yeah. a year and a half now? Like Julio Jones' whole career. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. But I mean, I don't think it's the end of the world. It's a good time for it to happen. Yeah. Unfortunate, of course. Better now than during training camp, where you're missing deeper into the season. Right. Let's talk Buffalo Bills. I think you have something on your spreadsheet, right? That uh, that interests you. That that was sparked from our conversation Wednesday with Joe Marino, who was fantastic. If you didn't hear that episode, go back to listen to Wednesday's episode with Joe Marino. We talk Bills. Talk a little bit twenty twenty one draft names to know as well. But I want to get into your Bills notes and maybe hit a couple of questions here. I meant to bring this up the other day, and I'm a Bills believer. If you go back and listen to that podcast, it's almost all positive. Although I'm a little more negative on Josh Allen than Joe is, but I totally understand that. I mean, that's his team. You look through it through, you know, Bill's colored glasses. But one note that I just thought is interesting about the Bills that I just want to bring up because I don't think their defense is worrisome. 
But overall, they the Bills played one of the easiest schedules in the league last year. And the slate of offenses they played last year was the second easiest. So I just want that to be known. I'm not saying, boy, the Bills defense is a farce. They're paper champions. None of those type of things. But those are two facts. I mean, that they did face a very easy slate of offenses. And, you know, I just want people to know that. That was one of the things about the Patriots, too. Obviously, they're in the same division, yes, play similar exactly. schedules. And the Patriots' absurd, historic defensive run for a while was like, well, yeah, but look who they're playing. So I think there's a little come down to earth for both the the Patriots defensive side of the football this year and the Buffalo Bills in general, although the Bills are also getting better. So that might make up for it and close that gap. So they'll be right back where they were anyway, even if the schedule gets a little bit more difficult. Uh, I don't know if you have your spreadsheet handy, but was there anything with uh, special teams, with penalties, anything where there's regression there, either positive or negative that you see on the horizon for the Bills? Not really, because I've been doing um, these these three-minute videos for Sportscaster, and I did the Bills just the same day as we talked to Joe, and they were one of the hardest teams to come up with three minutes of this type of thing because there wasn't a whole lot of outliers with them. Um, one big key was their their turnover ratio was really, really good. I mean, they're one of the best in the league there. But And I know a lot of those things come back to the mean, but I also think that defense with as much activity as they have and the athletes and as well coached as they are probably will be remain good at taking the ball away. When we talk to the other hosts on the network, I do get pretty jazzed about the teams and, and they are very good at convincing me by the time we're done with those episodes like, man, yeah, really like the Bills. I really like what the Broncos are doing this year. Okay, stock up for that team. I, don't, I haven't really talked to a host yet where I feel like it's stocked down yet. We'll see if we find any of those as we go throughout the rest of the league. And usually when it's pretty clear that there's some pessimism, then yeah, it's obvious and you can pile on to a team. So it might be quite the opposite when we uh, talk to some hosts on the network as we go through the rest of the league. We teased a listener question yesterday, Matt, from Mark. I want to know what job Williamson NFL would leave the media to take and, and maybe some of the top teams you would love to run. Is there any jobs, if Ooh. if an owner called you and said, Matt, we want you to do this for this organization, would you say, you know what, I'll drop everything and I'll go take that job? Well, none of those are going to happen, first <laughs> of all. <laughs> so you'll probably be hearing from me for a while now. Um, I've gotten asked this a lot, and... At my age, I just turned 47, and my kids are basically becoming teenagers, and my whole family's in this area of the country in Pittsburgh. It would take a lot. I mean, it's not like I have some money. It's not like I would make huge moves just for money reasons. It would take a lot for me to leave this town, to be very honest with you. So that narrows things down quite a bit, and I don't think the the Seahawks are calling me to go be their GM and give me $3 million a year or anything like that. So... I mean, just to go be an area scout and get back in the league, I think I'm cool not doing that. It's been so long since I did. I like my family. I like my hometown. My parents are getting up in age. I want to be here. Um, so if the Steelers called, I would sure listen to do anything, really. You know, I mean, just to, to be involved with that organization because it's a hometown, that would certainly be fine. I already sort of am involved with them. I mean, I'm not an employee. And frankly, that's wonderful. That's certainly good enough for me. Um, but I will say one thing I miss from time to time is the relations you made 
in the recruiting world at the college level. It's been so long since I did that, but now that I'm older, you know, I was in my mid twenties, you know, taking 16, 17 year olds and their family around Pitt's campus and things like that. Now that I'm a little older and I have kids, I think I could offer more and develop more relations that way with families, with the team. So many of those kids aren't NFL players, you know, but they're great people that are there to work hard and be part of a team. And that's just a cool environment to go work at every day. Was it awkward when you took the recruits and their parents to the strip club at the same time? Or did you do that separately? Oh, no, wait. Oh, sorry. You didn't recruit for the University of Miami. I'm sorry. I forgot. (laughs) We recruited against them, but not well. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, no offense to the people I've written for since, the 10 years at ESPN working for a monster website sure is missed. I mean, there's just the stability that I had there. But people don't know this. I mean, it's a really bad market right now. Since then, the last five, six years, just for writing, for websites, it's just really saturated. Yeah, really saturated. And I'm sure it's really cool to have that powerhouse behind you. You know, when the, when the, it was great. When the at ESPN tweets out your article, you know, tens of thousands of views instantly. So that's pretty cool to have that powerhouse behind you. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, the, the stability of it was awesome. And Mm -hmm. it is kind of cool now when at Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, quotes my stuff and puts it out too. They have a couple followers too. So yeah, absolutely. But no, you're right. I mean, I would love to work for ESPN.com, NFL.com, one of those huge ones, because I've reaped the benefits and it was nice. You mentioned if you were offered a job as an area scout somewhere, and I think a lot of people out there don't really know what the life of a scout is like. And it's it's it, even if I was offered one of these jobs, and like when I was younger, it was like, oh man, being a scout would be the coolest job ever. That would be you know a dream yeah. job. And then you're like, well, I don't want to get paid thirty thousand dollars and spend one hundred and fifty nights on the road every year. You know, when you have a family, when you're twenty five years old, you have no family, no obligations. Let's go, you know, let's do it. Let's hit the road. But at this point, it's like if a team called you, it's like, yeah, you can't afford me. There's there's nothing that would make sense in this unless you were given a job where you didn't have to travel as much and you got paid a ton. Then it would mm-hmm. then you'd have to start um, start listening. And I would probably lean towards being on the pro side for people who don't know. Generally, there's a GM. His right hand man's the college guy. His left hand man is the is the pro side. And the pro guys don't travel as much. I mean, you're in the office most of the time. You know, you're watching tapes of the teams you're responsible for, advanced scouting, things like that. That would be more my bag. Because, frankly, I mean, people that follow me, since I've left the Browns, I mean, I've done much more NFL stuff than college. I mean, come October, I can't tell you the the nuances of LSU's offensive line. Right. That's a good point. Uh, real quick here, this last one from Mike. He says, how many years can each coach finish in last place or miss the playoffs before he gets fired? And he's got, well, <laughs> uh, well he's, he said, you can go through all 32 if you want. No, we're not going to go through all 32, okay. but he says, very curious. I was going to say, if it's the Browns, one. If it's the Steelers, <laughs> 10. Right, exactly. It's a big, it's a slight <laughs> scale. Uh, he says, curious to what you think specifically about Zach Taylor, Dan Quinn, Frank Reich, uh, Nagy, and Gruden are the ones he really lists here. Let's go through these really quick. Zach Taylor, you have some time because you're a young coach and you just drafted a quarterback number one overall. So if, if the answer is how many years can you finish in last place, he can finish in last place at least one more time. Two more, I, I would think you would be gone there. And with all respect to Marvin Lewis, who I think is a good coach, that organization is cheap and does not want to make changes. You know, yes. like they not that Marvin Lewis was a bad coach at all, but 
they will wait for you. <laughs> you know Absolutely. what I mean? They're not going to pull. It's not a hairline trigger there. Uh, Dan Quinn, if they finish in last place, he's gone this year. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like he almost has to make the playoffs, don't you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, even a, a decent season wouldn't be enough. They have to be really good, I think, this year. And he was almost canned, I think, last year. Yes, and, and he salvaged. saved himself at the end. Yep. The defense got so much better the second half of the season, yep. and that saved their season. But they're they're hanging on for dear life, I think. Frank Reich, uh, he could, uh, he's got I think some he's leeway. Yeah, absolutely, a couple of years. Uh, and if he got, I would hire him in a heartbeat if he was on the market. Yes, uh, Nagy, one more, right? One more, and yeah, one more. One One thing I I think we should throw out with the Bears organization is these are the quarterbacks that they've acquired, and they've given up quite a bit to get them collectively. Foles, Trubisky, and oh, by the way, Mike Glennon. Yeah. (laughs) So you don't pick up the Trubisky option, and I'm the owner going – do I want to trust these guys to add to that list, or do I want to go find someone new to get my new quarterback? And Mike Glennon went from Chicago to Oakland, right? And John Gruden's the last name on this list. Uh, John Gruden signed that 10-year contract. I-, I think he's probably pretty safe for at least one more. He has a couple of last-place finishes in a row. I imagine they have to make a change. See, I think they could end up in last in their division. Uh, so, so could the Bears. And But... Boy, a 10-year contract that's guaranteed, I think. Like, yeah. would Gruden even mind getting fired? He could just go home and collect money and do whatever he wants. Yeah. Drink Coronas. Yeah, he could double dip, right? Because there's still some lucrative money out there for him to broadcast somewhere. So he could collect 10 mil from the Raiders while he's collecting 10 mil from, um, you know, some big network. Right, or sell tires or other stuff that he's done on the side, you know? I, I think with him, if they have a, a disaster year, then his seat will be hot this time next year, but he'll still be the Raiders coach this time next year. I agree. I totally agree. All right. We're out of time here, Matt. Good stuff. Thanks everybody for getting those questions in. Apologies to the ones we did not get to. There's still some I wanted to hit. Maybe we'll hit some more next week. You can always ask your questions on Twitter. Tag me at BD Peacock, tag Matt at Williamson NFL, and we'll be back next week right here. Locked on NFL.